Zechariah chapter 10. All right, so we looked this morning at verse 4. Out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail, out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. Now verse 5. And they shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders on horses shall be confounded. And I will strengthen the house of Judah. And I will save the house of Joseph. And I will bring them again to place them. For I have mercy upon them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them off. For I am the Lord their God and will hear them. A couple of things about this that's pretty interesting. Notice that it says in verse 6, And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. So Judah is the southern kingdom. Joseph is all of the tribes of the northern kingdom. So it's really important that you see this. Sometimes there's this strange teaching that there are ten lost tribes of Israel, that there are only two tribes in existence today, but the other ten tribes are lost. Uh, I mentioned this morning that the, that teacher, I guess you could call him that, his name's Stephen Anderson uh, out of Phoenix, and he says that Jews aren't really even in existence today, that they don't exist. Well, tell that to the Bible. So we know, and just let, let's just look at it. Keep your place here in Zechariah. Go to Romans chapter 11. Because people do listen to him, down the road, I think I'm going to do uh, kind of an expose on his silliness. Because he just put out a video on YouTube, something like what it means to be Baptist. So now when somebody Googles, you know, or on YouTube, what does it mean to be a Baptist? You're going to get Stephen Anderson. And it's, it's just terrible. And so as this becomes more and more popular, he has a guy that has backed him, a filmmaker, so they make really well-produced documentaries and then mail them to every church in the country. So you know, I don't know even who, I don't know if he has 100 people in his church. But because of YouTube and because of his, his publicity, um, you know, he's been banned from all kinds of countries and because of his anti-Semitism and, and the things, he burned a Koran. So, you know, that got on the news and Just all the kind of stuff, the crazy stuff that they do, it's hurting the cause of Christ. We are not supposed to be that way. You can stand against sin and stand for the truth without behaving that way. And But look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. And I know that you all know this passage, but it's always good to point it out in the context of a specific conversation. So look at this. It says, "...for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery." Lest you should be wise, lest you should be wise. I'm sorry. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness, in part, is happened to who? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written: There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now it says Israel and Jacob. It's interesting, God calls him Israel when he's dealing with the spiritual side, and he calls him Jacob when he's dealing with the fleshly side. So the ungodliness is in Jacob. Who's the father of the 12 tribes? 
Jacob. Jacob. And so God is making it very clear that he is not finished with Israel. When he returns, he will all Israel will be saved. Of course, now we know that means all who live through the tribulation period and turn to Christ. But all that entire nation is going to be God's nation again. So this, I don't know how a man could so boldly profess that Israel does not exist or that the Holocaust didn't take place. That is such a horrible thing. I was just reading uh, just before I came in. Brother Knox has a new commentary on the book of Obadiah. And he told me that that book really does address a lot of Stephen Anderson's errors. But he has an appendix on the Holocaust and those who deny it. And he made this really, really good point. No one ever denies that Russia killed, you know, 30 million people. No one ever denies the 2 million deaths of the, in the, the killing fields under Pol Pot. No one denies that, you know, Stalin starved the people in Ukraine. Those, those are not denied. What's denied is that the Jews were killed in uh, Germany. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I worked with a man. His name was Saul Rosner. I worked for him. He was my boss. And he had the tattoo. He had been in the concentration camps. I can't imagine. He lost his whole family. Can you imagine going up to him and telling him it didn't happen? See, one of the things that happened, Stephen Anderson's a pretty young guy. Um, how many of you have met Holocaust survivors face-to-face? You've actually met. Look at this. Look at this. This is one of the problems with young people. Now, you guys know that I love you guys. But what happens is if it's not something that's happened in your experience or that you've been able to see on Facebook or on a phone, then, it, it, then it's not very real to you. It's an interesting thing. For a lot of people, 9-11 is not real because it's too long ago. How many of you remember exactly where you were when 9-11 happened? The farther we get away from it, there, there will be all kinds of, of lies about what did or did not take place the farther that you get away from it. But to deny the Holocaust because you, you have some hatred of Israel and hatred of the Jews, man, I would not want to stand before God with that, especially as a preacher of the Word of God. Boy, it is a, it is a dangerous thing. So let's go back to Zechariah chapter 10. And that's why this passage becomes so important. Verse 6, it says, I will strengthen the house of Judah and will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them. So when you get down to verse 7, and they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as through wine, yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. Um, these tribes are not lost. Ephraim is one of the tribes that is considered one of the lost tribes. He's not lost. These tribes are not. Uh, I like it. Verse 8, it says, I will hiss for them and gather them. There's another place in the book of Isaiah where that term is used. I will hiss for them. Now, for us, that sounds like a snake or, you know, your wife when she gets mad at you. You know, it just, it's, but it's, think of it as psst, He's calling Israel back. He's, he's calling them back. That's what's happening in this. 
I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. So then the other thing that he says in verse 9, and I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in the far countries. Uh, I like this, and they shall remember me. Um, the, the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. God remembers his people. He has not forgotten his people. He has not cut them off. Um, let's see. Look with me. This idea of God remembering his people. Um, keep your place in Zechariah. Go to Leviticus 26. Now, we have been in Leviticus 26 several times. And it is one of the most important chapters for us to be familiar with, to understand what God has told Israel. When we talk about the tribulation period, there's portions of this scripture that are just devastating and explain why God is so hard on Israel during the tribulation. But if you look at, we looked at this a week or two ago, look at chapter 26, verse 1. You shall make no... He shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image. Neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If ye walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the fruit, I'm sorry, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely, and I will give you peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid, and I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land, and ye shall chase your enemies. And they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. And ye shall eat old store, and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Boy, can you imagine? Look at the promises that God made these people. It's amazing. And you know, there's a passage in the book of Romans that talks about the Jews and what profit have the Jews and and, and Paul said, much in every way. For unto them were committed the oracles of God. And I think I told you a while back that it's so interesting when you study IQ and how the average IQ is 100. That's the, that's the baseline. If you're below that, you have a below average IQ. If you're above that, you have an above average IQ. And I think genius is somewhere around 140. The average Hasidic Jew, that's the wandering Jews of Europe, has something like a 135 IQ. That's the average, and we wonder why they're known as being more successful. Isn't that an interesting thing? 
But in verbal acuity, the average is something like over 150. So when you think about the lyricists in music who have been Jews, or the plays or the books, the literature that have been been written by Jews, it's because God gave them this amazing gift of proficiency with language. And notice what the Bible says. For unto, unto them were committed the oracles of God. Look at uh, Psalm 12. Keep, keep Leviticus 26, but go to Psalm 12. And those numbers that I just gave you, the IQ numbers, they're not exact. That's just me remembering and I'm probably misremembering. But it's something like that. But look at Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, Psalm 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, the modern translations change it to thou shalt preserve this generation forever, this people, thou shalt preserve, you will preserve us. It's talking about how God is going to preserve the word from this generation. Now, remember in the Bible, the word generation isn't a time figure. It's a people figure. So from the people of Israel, from the Jewish people, God was going to preserve his word. Isn't that wonderful? God has chosen his people. And look with me at, uh, keep Leviticus 26 if you would, but look with me at Psalm 17, I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 17. Look at verse 20. The Bible says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now, how many of you are saved here today? Are you saved? That means Jesus Christ was praying for you right here. He was praying for you specifically. Do you see that's what it says? He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. The only way any of us can be saved is because of what the Bible says to us. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We are saved because of what Jesus Christ did as communicated in the scriptures. Are you with me on this? We owe the Jews everything. We owe the Jews our eternal salvation. Y'all recognize what I'm talking about here? Because we believed through the word that those Jewish disciples wrote down for us. That's how we have this information. For Christians to turn on the Jews is one of the most disgusting things I can ever think of. They are God's people, and he is not finished with them. So go back to Leviticus chapter 26. Look at verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity... Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. I will remember the land. 
So it's important that we understand. Go back to Zechariah chapter 10. God will remember his promise, and he will remember that he has promised to put the people in the land. It's very important. They're going to be sown again in the land. So now look back at verse 10. I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, and place, the, and, uh, and place shall not be found for them. So now it's interesting. It says in verse 10, and I will bring them, or I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt. There aren't hardly any Jews in Egypt. Right now, you'd be really hard-pressed to find a Jew. How would you like to be a Jew in Egypt? Remember, when we were there, we had armed guards with us everywhere we went. It would not be a good thing to be a Jew in Egypt right now. So what about Assyria? So how many of you think it would be a good idea to be a Jew in Syria right now? That would be a bad thing. This is talking about... I. Jews all over the world are living in the places where their enemies exist. There are places in Germany, places in France, places in England where you can't wear the, the yarmulke. They can't wear their traditional headdress because they'll be attacked on the street in Western nations. So what God's going to do is he's going to bring them out of the lands of their enemies. He's going to do that. Um, he says, Assyria, that's for the enemies of the north. Gilead. Do you see it says Gilead in verse 10? That's the Golan Heights in Israel right now. That's the Golan Heights. And then Lebanon and Lebanon and place shall not be found for them. So Assyria, Gilead and Lebanon, this was, that was all part of the promised land. That was all, let's, let's track that down a little bit. What God is promising is he's going to keep his covenant. So let's look at what that covenant is. Go to Genesis 15 and verse 18. It's so fun in these Bible study times, rather than just saying, you know, that God promised them the land. Let's go and look at the verses and see what he said to the people about the land. So Genesis chapter 15 and look at verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, unto thy seed have I given this land. Okay, so what is the land that he's given them? From the river of Egypt. Now, let's see. If anyone knows what the river of Egypt is, the Nile, okay? So from the river of Egypt, that's from the Nile, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So that entire space in the promised land from the Nile to the Euphrates River, that's the promised land. So Israel is not in the land completely right now. They're not there yet, but they will be. That's the promise that God made. Look at verse, look at uh, verse, go to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 3. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 3. Why don't we start reading in verse 1? And it came to, and it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, 
the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whether the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. That's God re reaffirming the covenant that he had made. And he said, I, when you call to me, when you repent, I will bring you back into the exact land that I promised to your fathers. That's what God is promising in the text. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. Look at verse 12. This is the Davidic covenant. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers... I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now, let me just deal with something that, that you might question. Was Jesus going to sin? No, he's talking about those who sit on the throne and the seed. So the, there were times when God had to punish whoever was sitting on the throne. Jesus did not need punishment. He bore our punishment, right? But he's saying, in thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. This is the covenant that God made with David about his throne, and that's the throne that Jesus will sit on. Look at Psalm 89. Verse 30. Psalm 89 and verse 30. You know, verse 28 is so good. Let's read that. It says, My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness uh, will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. 
Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Now look at that word, Selah. So when's it going to happen? In the millennium, in the kingdom. Anytime you see that word Selah, it's going to take place in the kingdom, in the millennium. This is what God has promised. What's really interesting is if you've ever been to the land of Israel, and I know I mentioned this just the other day, I was driving down the road with my friend and I looked over and there was a fence that was about from where I was in the car. The fence would be about right where that wall is. And I said, what's that? And he said, Syria. You go to the Golan Heights and the, these, these areas and it's very small. It's very interesting. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 49. This is fun. Isaiah chapter 49. Look at verse 20. Oh, we've got to read verse 18. Problem is I write down the verse that has the actual point I want to make, but it doesn't make sense without the context. So look at verse 18. Lift up thine eyes round about and behold... All these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all as with an ornament and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. For thy waste and thy desolate places and the land of thy destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants and they, shall, and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. So what's going to happen is the children of Israel are going to recognize that the land is too narrow. It's too narrow and it's straight. That reminds us of of Matthew 7, 14, where Jesus talks about the way is straight and narrow. Straight and narrow. It's confining. Israel, the land that they're in right now, it's too small. It's too confining. It needs to be expanded to the land that God had promised them. That's what the Bible is talking about. So praise God, it is going to be enlarged. Look at Isaiah 54 and verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For... Thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. Look at verse 5. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when thou was refused, saith thy God. 
What happened? Remember the book of Hosea talks about how God has put off Israel, but they're going to be his bride. Just as the church is the bride of Christ, Israel is going to be the bride of the Father. And what's going to happen when that takes place? The land is going to be expanded. There'll be enough room for all of them to grow. And they're going to have children. For a thousand years, they're going to have kids. And it's going to expand and expand and expand. God's not done with Israel. Those are the promises that God is making in the book of Zechariah. Go back with me to Zechariah 10. look at verse 11. And he shall pass through the sea with affliction, so that's remembering the Red Sea, and shall smite the waves in the sea, and all the deeps of the river, they cross the Jordan River, shall dry up, and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. So the north and the south, the people trying to come and attack them, all of that is going to go away. But notice what it says in verse 12. And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down In his name, saith the Lord. See, what Israel is going to recognize during the kingdom is that they didn't accomplish it. Right now, they're very proud. And it's interesting, when you look at verse uh, 7, they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man. You know, we saw the passage where God said he'd make a hundred flee from five. That's the way Israel is right now. Their army is so much stronger than the, the much larger armies all around them. God has accomplished that in them. It's such a fascinating thing to see how God is already putting this in them and already beginning to fulfill. Do you know what that tells us? If they don't turn to Christ, considering all the promises that God has made them as a people, then they deserve the judgment that God is going to bring on them. It's such a sad thing when you see it. So he'll strengthen them. And when he strengthens them, it won't be in their own strength It will only be in the strength of the Lord. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 7. We'll see if it's verse 7. You know what? Let's look at verse 5. Behold, the days will come... I'm sorry, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all the countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. That's what God promises. Isn't that a blessing? Man, we can never forget that God is not finished with Israel. And regardless of whether we agree with them politically, regardless of whether or not we agree with everything they do socially, that's not the issue. They're God's people, and we are to be their friend. Amen? So anyone who says that Israel no longer exists, they are the enemy of God and of God's people. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for giving us Zechariah chapter 10.
and all of the information that's included in it.